And this morning we'll look at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Long passage, but we will cover it. We will get through it. Romans 4, beginning at verse 13. This is God's inspired, authoritative word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the death and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised Him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Father, as we come into Your presence this morning, we think of the rain that came down this morning. And as I thought of the rain, I thought of Isaiah 55 and this great promise about Your Word where the prophet says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall My Word be that goes out of My mouth. It shall not return to Me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Father, we echo these words and we pray that we would succeed and seeing Your Word bear much fruit in our lives. Father, we want to bear much fruit in our lives. It is Your will that we should bear much fruit to Your glory, showing ourselves to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. As you read through the Bible, you'll notice that it uses many metaphors to describe the Christian life. Uh, the Apostle Paul seemed to be fond of sports metaphors. Uh, he talks about running in a race, and he says when you run in a race, you need to compete according to the rules so that you're not disqualified. And 
He reminds us that only one receives the prize. Uh, he also has a passing reference to boxing. Uh, he also talks about wrestling. Specifically, he talks about wrestling in prayer. Uh, he also uses the analogy of downhill skiing. No, he doesn't use it. I'm just making sure that you're paying attention. It's a downhill skiing. I, I missed that one. Uh, Jesus used the metaphor of Christian life being like building a house, and we have to make sure that we're building on the solid foundation of His Word. And Of course, we could go on and on. Perhaps the most sobering metaphor of the Christian life is that of fighting a battle. We are involved in a cosmic conflict. And there are three enemies that we face every single day when we get up in the morning. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, This world system as opposed to God. And you may have noticed that in America, our culture is becoming increasingly opposed to God and His law and His ways. Every single day we fight the flesh. And in case you're wondering, what do you mean by flesh? I'm not talking about skin, you know, that covers our bones and, you know, sinew and whatnot. I'm talking about that sinful nature that we have within us, that propensity to do wrong. And of course, there is the devil and his demons. There really is a spiritual battle taking place that we are involved in. Sometimes we don't recognize that battle, but it's real. One pastor made this observation. I thought it was pretty good. He said, you ever find yourself involved in a battle or a conflict and you say to yourself, this this doesn't make sense, this seems irrational. He said, recognize that perhaps you're involved in something that's demonic and there are great forces at work. I think that's good advice. I think that's something to be aware of. And when you are involved in such a conflict, realize what you need to do. You need to pray. One of my favorite verses about prayer is Mark 9.29. I put it right at the top of my prayer list, Mark 9.29. The context is a man with a demon-possessed son. He brings the man. uh, The man brings his son, rather, to the disciples, asks the disciples if they can cast out the demons. They try. They fail miserably. They couldn't do it. The man brings his son to Jesus. Jesus casts out the demon. The disciples come to him later and say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That's a very important verse. This kind, what's the implication? There are ranks in the demonic army. And when you're up against this kind, this powerful kind, you need to realize that only one thing works to overcome it, to have victory. And Jesus says, this kind, this powerful kind, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If you want victory, the only thing that will work, get down on your hands and knees and cry out to God. So prayer is very important. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul instructs Timothy and he says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. This fight is about our faith in God and His Word. That is the center of the battle. It really is. The center of the battle is will you believe God or not? Here's your two options. 
I'm going to trust revelation or reason. And by revelation, I'm talking about will you trust what God has revealed in His Word or will you trust your own reasoning, what you think is right, what you think is wrong. And that's how it's been from the very beginning. Turn back to Genesis 3, if you will. Genesis 3. In case you don't know, that's the first book of the Bible. It's real easy to find. Genesis 3 talks about the fall. Serpent comes, dresses the woman. Verse 4, Serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God said, If you eat of this tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Satan says, You're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. See what's happening here? God said, that tree right there, enjoy the whole universe. It's all yours. There's only a single solitary law that I have. Don't eat of this tree. Otherwise you'll die. Satan, you won't die. She looks at the tree. Looks like a good tree. Looks like it's... Good for food. Wow, look at that tasty fruit. It looks delicious. And that it was a delight to the eyes. What a, what a beautiful tree. I don't know, maybe it had flowers. Looks like a beautiful tree. And it was to be desired to make one wise. Now stop right there. Do you see what's going on? God revealed, don't eat of that tree. Satan questions God's Word, denies God's Word, lies. Eve looks at the tree and she's reasoning. What is she going to go with? Revelation or reasoning? What God has said or what she thinks is best. And we know what happened. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the rest, as they say, is history. But what I want you to see is that from the very beginning, the battle has always been the fight of faith. And that means, will we trust God or not? Revelation or reason? Those are always the options before us. Now, for several weeks now, we've been talking about the importance of faith. And specifically, we've been talking about the importance of faith as it refers to justification. That big word, justification, which means being declared righteous. We're forgiven. God declares us righteous because Jesus gives His perfect righteousness to us. And this righteousness comes to us, you could probably say it right along with me, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yeah, I've said it so many times, right? It's ingrained in you. Good. That was my objective. Now, to make sure that we understand that it is faith and nothing else. Paul said it's by faith and not works. Saw that two weeks ago. He said it's by faith and not circumcision, or we might say baptism, church attendance. He's making that very clear. And then in the passage this morning, he's saying it's by faith and not by works of the law. And we pick it up Romans 4.13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
Okay, it doesn't come through the law. The law came 430 years after Abraham. Okay, with, with Moses. It came through the promise that was given to Abraham. And notice what the promise was. That he would be heir of what? The world. The world. Thank you. One of you saw it. That he would be heir of the world. Not just a little sliver of land in the Middle East. God promised Abraham the world. You take that literally, Pastor Wayne? Yes, I do. I take that literally. And how is he going to claim the world? Faith. Turn to 1 John 5. It's by faith. This is how we conquer. 1 John verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it, John? He tells us, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Abraham inherits the world not because he obeyed the law, but because he believed God, we will overcome the same way by faith. That's how we do it. That's why faith is so important. That's how we have victory in the Christian life because we live by faith. It's not just the best way to live the Christian life. Living by faith is the only way to live the Christian life. Which is why Paul is stressing it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. Why he's exhausting us, talking to us about faith, 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 because it is so important to the Christian life. Continues on in verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. That's what the law brings. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. What's the purpose of the law? To show us we're sinners. Right? When God established the law, basically He put up a no trespassing sign. You've seen those, right? It's like you're walking along in a field and you're saying, wow, this is really neat. You know, I used to do that at my grandparents' house. They have 40 acres and it was fun to go through the woods. And But imagine I'm going through the woods and all of a sudden you know, I saw a sign, no trespassing. Uh-oh. And what if underneath it said, violators will be shot on sight? You know, <laughs> then I'd really know I was in trouble. God brings the law and all of a sudden we're like, uh-oh. I'm a trespasser. I'm a sinner. I'm in trouble. That's what the law does. That's the purpose of the law. 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all His offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, that's a reference to the Jews who had the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. And the ones who share the faith of Abraham are all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody who believes in Christ is a child of Abraham and heirs according to those promises. If you don't believe Abraham, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Abraham is not your father. So our father Abraham who is the Father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the Father of how many nations? Many nations. Many nations. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Many people think yeah, Abraham is the Father of Israel. That's not what it says. 
Many nations. Israel is just the beginning. You know what Israel is? Israel is like a down payment. We already saw it. God promised Abraham the world. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Israel was just the beginning. He gives him Israel, borders, and boundaries. He said, this is just the beginning. It's like a down payment when you buy a house, right? That's what Israel was. Hey, this is a down payment. You know that I can be trusted. The rest is coming, Abraham. Believe me, the world is yours. And Abraham believed God. It's amazing. How could he do that? Verse 17, In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who did Abraham believe? He believed God. This is personal. Belief is in a person. He believed God. And according to verse 17, so you don't have to be okay up here, Finger, according to verse 17, what did Abraham believe about God? What did he believe? There's, there's two answers I'm looking for, class. What did he believe about God? He was the father of many nations. Gives life to the dead. Calls into existence things that do not exist. Second reference is a reference to creation. You may have heard this phrase. Uh, pastors or theologians will talk about God creating the world ex nihilo Latin out of nothing. Out of nothing. Because there was nothing except God. And He spoke the universe into existence. I mean, think about that. I, it, it's amazing. When you're walking outside later, just look at the tree and just say, God spoke that into existence. He said, let there be oak trees. Let there be sparrows. That could be funny looking animals, but really long necks. That could be octopuses. That could be skunks. We're going to cause my people to run. <laughs> Those things didn't just pop up. They didn't just evolve out of the slime. God created them. God creates out of nothing. Talk about a powerful God. And then there's creation. God brings life to the dead. That's amazing. God brings life to the dead. I'll just be vulnerable for a moment here. This, this is what I've been doing as I've been studying the, the message this week. I, I walk around here because no one's here. I'm here by myself usually, except on Thursdays. But I walk around here, and this, this is what I was saying. My God raises the dead. That's what I was saying remind myself of who God is. My God raises the dead. Your God raises the dead. Maybe remind yourself of that. My God raises the dead. When you see the doctor's report, the bills, problem with your kids, whatever, just say to yourself, maybe even say it out loud, My God raises the dead. He really does. Let me give you what I think is maybe my all-time favorite quote. A.W. Tozer. This is from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That, meditate on that for a month or two. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most portentous fact, we could just say the most important fact about any man, is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Isn't that good? Abraham thinks of God. You know what he thinks? My God creates things out of nothing. My God raises the dead. Genesis 22. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to go up to Mount Moriah. I want you to place him on an altar. I want you to raise the knife and I want you to kill him. I've heard people say that they're absolutely appalled that God would ask such a thing. I was talking to one gentleman and he said, I wouldn't do it. God would have to kill me first. Why couldn't he do it? You know why he couldn't do it? Because the truth is, I don't think that man's God can raise the dead. Hebrews tells us very clearly that Abraham reasoned within himself. Wait a second, God promised me that all the promises are going to come through Isaac. Now he's telling me to kill Isaac. How can that be happening? It must be that after I kill him, burn him on this altar, he's going to raise him up from the dead so that he can continue on and fulfill his promises. That's how he reasoned because his God raises the dead. There's no problem. I'll kill him and God will raise him up and he'll be true to his word. His God raises the dead. Your God raises the dead. Remind yourself of that. He really does. Our God cares about us. He does. And I say that because often we think, I know God is willing, I know God is, is able, but I don't know if he cares about me. He does and he demonstrates his care for us. Vaughn loaned me, loaned me this book. Vaughn, I'm about uh, three-quarters of the way through. I'll get it back to you next week, maybe. Uh, it's, it's a great book. It's called Not Forgotten, Kenneth Bay. He's talking about his imprisonment in, in North Korea. And I can't tell you how it ends. I don't want to ruin it for you. But he's in a concentration camp, and uh, he talked about he put together a schedule. He would worship. He would, he would read his Bible. He'd pray. He'd exercise. And then uh, they forced him to watch TV, which was news propaganda. But anyways, he says, One morning during my worship time, I started to crave a certain cold noodle soup for which one of the Pyongyang, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, restaurants is famous. I had it on an earlier trip to Pyongyang. For some reason, I could not stop thinking about this soup. I could almost smell it and taste it. However, I didn't dare to ask the guards or one of the prosecutors to bring it to me, not with all the talk of war flying around. I didn't even pray for something so small. Instead, I just said to myself, I really wish I had some of that cold noodle soup. The next day, when lunch arrived, I discovered a bowl of the exact cold noodle soup I had craved. 
The guard told me that they had someone bring her from the very restaurant I had mine. I could not believe my eyes. Remember, he's he's a prisoner, <laughs> okay? And and what they had were tiny, small portions, maybe rice. He talks about what looked like meat. It was mostly fat, maybe just a little tiny bit of meat. And he talks about the guards, and there's actually pictures here, and they were all sticks. I mean, they, they really were because they barely had enough food to survive. So this was truly incredible in that type of situation. He goes on to say, a day or so later, I had a strong craving for some kimchi fried rice. Again, I did not dare ask for it, nor did I let anyone know what I craved. I didn't even pray for it. That night when they brought in my dinner, I found the kimchi fried rice I had craved in the morning. It was almost as if I had phoned room service and placed my order directly. The next day I craved tofu soup. I don't know why you would, but... (laughs) And you know what his next meal was. Tofu soup. And he says that for the next five months, there was probably about 40 meals where that happened. He craved something specifically, and God gave it to him. And he said, God was reminding me that right here in the midst of this terrible situation, he's with me, he's watching over me. And he does that to all of us. He really does. If we will open our eyes, he provides, he encourages us. He says, continue on. I know it's bleak. I know this isn't five-star hotel, but I am right here with you. You will get through this. He does those things. And we need to thank him for those small things which remind ourselves that God is with us. The passage continues on. Verse 18. This, This is a great phrase. In hope, he believed against hope. Sounds like a contradiction, right? In other other words, when everything looked hopeless, Abraham was filled with overflowing hope. How could that be? Because his God raises the dead. His God raises the dead in hope, against all hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, better translation says, or that Sarah's womb was dead. That's, that's important. Because what's being emphasized here is that Abraham is 99 years old. His body is dead. His wife's womb is dead. Which means if God is going to fulfill His Word, He needs to bring about a resurrection of two bodies if that promise is going to happen. And it says He didn't weaken in faith. And if you know the story, you might say, well, it seems like He weakened a little bit. Because if you go back in Genesis, Genesis 17, God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. Which means from exalted father to the father of many. And, and you just got to picture it. 99 years old, changes his name. He's got one son, father of many. I just p- picture people saying, what's your name? Abraham, father of many. Oh, wow, how many kids do you have? I got one. <laughs> God tells him he's going to be the father of many. You know what his response was? The passage says he fell down and laughed. <laughs> fell, fell down and laughed. He said, well, can't the promise come through uh, Ishmael? He says, no. 
going to come through Ishmael because it's going to come through your wife Sarah. She's going to have a son. And then God visits Abraham, it says, with two men. There are two angels and the Lord. And God says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. Sarah overheard it. You know what her response was? She laughed. Why, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too difficult for God? And then Sarah said, I didn't, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, yeah, yes, you did. I think when it says they didn't wear, it doesn't mean they were perfect. They had questions. You'll read through the passage. Abraham, how, how could this be? I don't understand how this could be. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. I was listening to a Christian leader recently and, and someone gave, gave him one of the questions. And it was, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask Him? And he said, I wouldn't ask God anything because we're called to live by faith. Nothing wrong with asking God questions. Look at the psalm. They ask questions all the time. Lord, why don't you go out with our armies? Why are you just sitting there? Jesus asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? If Jesus can ask a question, we can ask a question. That's just part of the process. You know, we're going through difficulty. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Why is this going on? This doesn't make sense. Help me. Nothing wrong with answer, asking questions. That, that's how faith works. It's, you know, it's not just straight up, you know, better than the day before. It doesn't mean that there's not struggles in there. There are. So they finally did have a child, right? You, you remember the story, most of you, right? What did they name the child? Laughter. That's what Isaac means. It means laughter. It means laughter. And I think it's great. You know why God had them wait and wait and wait? He was just building up the joy. So this is going to be great. And I can just picture it. You have a man, 100 years old, okay, with his wife, and they go to the market, you know, how to buy tomatoes or whatever. And they got their little baby with them. And just picture the people. Oh, what a beautiful baby. What is that your, your, your grandchild, your great-grandchild? No, this is our child. <laughs> Get out of here. Come on. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. That's not your child. Whose child is that? I knew you wouldn't believe it. And just imagine the people who just laugh. You're not going to believe what God did. And the laughter that God brought because God raises the dead. It's just It's wonderful. 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Uh, I think 20 is fascinating. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Other translations say giving glory to God. And it's like, now what does this mean? Two two possibilities. Uh, One is that by trusting God, that gave glory to God. When you exercise your faith, you give glory to God. That's one possibility. Here's another possibility. They're not mutually exclusive. Maybe he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Maybe what he did is that God gave me this promise and he was thanking God, Lord, you're going to do it. You're, you're a God who's true to his word. You're going to do it. And maybe he praised God and he worshiped God ahead of time saying, you're, you're going to do it. Maybe it was one of those. Maybe it was both of those. I don't, I don't know exactly. It's another one of these places I wish we had a couple verses filling it in, you know. Giving glory to God. And this is how he gave glory to God, you know. But maybe that's, that's what it was. You know, maybe it's something like the bill comes in the mail and you're like, oh, man, this, 
I was not expecting this. I do not know how I'm going to do this. And you read Philippians 4.19, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you say, God, you promise. I don't know how you're going to handle this. It looks bleak. It looks frustrating. But you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Thank you for how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. Thank you. Lord, how are you going to do it? I don't know how you're going to do it. But, but thank you. That's, that's how it works, isn't it? You, you struggle through it. Give glory to God. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. We have to believe that God raises the dead. And we have to believe specifically that God raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And 25 says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We've talked about him dying for our justification. What does it mean he was raised for our justification? God raised him from the dead. And that demonstrates that God accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And here's the choice that is before us today. Regardless of what you're going through, you have a choice. Will you trust God or will you not? Will you trust revelation or will you trust reason? That's that's the battle. It's the battle every day of our lives. So think of what you're going through, what, what you're struggling with, what you're wondering God is going to do. Will you trust Him? He's faithful. Will you trust Him? I heard a great story this this last week. It was about a little girl named Mary. She was she was in a house on the on the second story, and the, and the house was was on fire, and and the smoke was rising. And everybody was out of the house except the little girl, and her father was outside. And there was a balcony outside her room, and her father yelled up, "Mary, Mary, crawl out onto the deck. I can't see. It's okay. Crawl out onto the deck." She crawls out onto the deck. She's having more and more difficulty seeing because because it's just it's filled with smoke. Mary, climb over the deck. She climbs up. Mary, jump off the deck. Dad, I can't. Mary, jump off the deck. I'm here at the bottom with some men. We will catch you. Mary, jump off the deck. Dad, I can't do it. Mary, trust your father. She jumps. Her father catches her with the men. People think when we talk about faith, we're talking about a blind leap in the dark. That's not faith. Faith may be a blind leap at times because we don't know what we're falling into, but we know this. Our Father is below and we can trust Him. There is nothing irrational about a little girl jumping off the second story when her father says, trust me. Underneath are the everlasting arms of your Father. He will catch you. Faith and reason are not opposed to each other. It is very reasonable to throw yourself into the arms of God because He can be trusted. And actually, I would state it even stronger. It's irrational. Irrational not to trust your Father because He has proved Himself since the beginning of creation that He can be trusted. Why do you think we have these fantastic stories in the Bible? So we can go, wow, what a cool story. That's a real fun story. I should read it to my kids. 
We have these stories because they tell us God can be trusted. And look at how people in the past have trusted God. And look, again and again and again, God has always proved faithfully. He has never lied. I can trust Him. The foolish thing, the irrational thing, would not to trust God. The wise thing, the obvious thing, the faithful thing, is to trust God wholly and completely. Let's close in prayer. Father, what a great and glorious God You are. And thank You how You prove Yourself faithful again and again. Father, we believe, help our unbelief, continue to build our faith. And Father, build our faith by helping us to understand more and more of who You are. And I pray that we really can be a people who say with great conviction, our God raises the dead. Our God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. Nothing is impossible for our God. Our God is a God of truth. He can be trusted in. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.